Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Hey all, welcome back to the Defiant Spirit Podcast. Baruch Halevi, be here with my good friend and frankly, longtime um, blogging video partner, Scott Schaffman. Hey, Scott. Hi, Baruch. How are you? Welcome back. It's been a minute since we've did, done one of these. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to, to have a conversation again. So anybody who hasn't heard at least maybe three podcasts that Scott and I have done, um, Scott and I go way back, like 30 plus years back to college, been friends ever since, though a few of those years we sort of drifted and walked our separate paths. But about, I don't know, four years ago or so, we were reunited, unfortunately, not unfortunately to be reunited, but the circumstances around our good friend, Mark Ehrman, who had died. And it was at that time when we rekindled our relationship. I would say even more than rekindled it, because I think I know that what became on this side of that tragedy is, has been infinitely more profound for both of us individually and as friends than certainly ever was 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it, it, it's pretty amazing that we were able to, um, you know, meet up again at a point in time in our lives where um, we both really, I feel like we needed each other. And uh, it's just kind of evolved into something very special over the last four years. It has. I've had the honor of um, spending a lot of time with Scott, both as a friend, <clears throat> excuse me, and as a client, um, working with Scott on his inner growth work, on his life's uh, path of meaning, purpose, and resilience. And so much so, it's been so influential to me that I've really pivoted in some ways my life around Scott's journey, which we'll talk to you about. Because what I have seen in you, Scott, I'll just talk to you, not to the audience, is um, what I've seen to uh, in you is an example of what is possible. I work with men and women, but it's been more and more men. And it's been more and more of men that were where you were or at least starting where you were, and now aspiring to where you currently are, where you have, I wanna say arrived, because that sounds too permanent, but certainly where you find yourself today on your journey of meaning and purpose and resilience. So I'd love to explore those, the origins of that journey, because it's really, and to the point where it's impacted me, and I, I shared this with you off air, but to the point where I'm writing a book right now for men, and there's three key figures in it, and you're one of those key figures. You're going to be famous. I, I love that, and I'm so honored and humbled. And uh, I, I, you know, I think the the journey that I've been on over the last four years um, with you along my side um, has just been this this awakening time in my life where I feel. Um, everything 
that I do or say. Um, I, I try to come from a place of of where my core values are, and it's, I'm not 100% like I make mistakes. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, there was uh, something happened the uh, the other day with Amy and I. Amy is my wife. And um, is it okay if I dive into this example? Go for it. So I've learned a lot about um, the difference between reacting and responding. And I, and, and I know Dr. Frankel talks about this as, as well. And um, he's got a famous saying around this. Um, and you can state that. Um, I'm sure, um, verbatim, <laughs> but uh, basically really what it comes down to is this space between reacting and um, responding. And there was a moment the other night where Amy and I were talking and I was delegated the task of um, making sure Gabriella's, all the paperwork were, was filled in for her financial aid for her college. Okay, she's going to college next year. Well, the, the system is so incredibly backed up and I've been on the, the website and I know that Amy is um, trying to come from a place of not telling me what to do because she knows that she, I don't like to be told what to do. So, but there was a moment the other night where I felt like she was kind of telling me what to do and it, it was like, I reacted and, and, and I don't remember exactly what I said, because I think when we react, it's almost like an out of body experience. I, we had dialogue afterwards and I'm like, Amy, I honestly don't even recall exactly what I said. So can you, so we talked through this and really the, the, the root of the problem was in our, in a, earlier in our marriage, um, I had a tendency to, again, react and not respond. And we had a hard time communicating. We didn't, she was very, she had to be very careful about um, addressing certain topics with me. Because um, evidently, I, in the, in the past, I have reacted and disrespected her with my tone and the words that I've, that I chose to use unconsciously. And um, it triggered her because this happened the other day. And so I went, so we had dialogue about that. And, and I tried really to understand what it was that triggered me to react. And it was just interesting to be able to, I know we're going to be talking about looking in, in the mirror and really trying to own your shit, right? And I, I tried really hard and I apologized and I was very, um, um, I, I tried to come from a place when she was telling me how she felt. Um, I tried to really listen and understand how she was feeling versus how I was feeling. Hmm. And I think that was the shift because I was coming from a place of responding and not reacting. And that's in, in my mind, that's the growth. And that's a, you know, very succinct way of summing up your four years of this 
shift or this journey from reaction, which as you're describing is it's unconscious, it's autopilot. More often than not, it's just fear because we're surviving. It's survival mode, right? And most guys, most people, but most guys, they operate in this fight or flight, this survival mode in, in business, you know, and like nothing's really changed because 50,000 years ago, it was just hunting. But now it's just hunting in a more civilized way, usually. And then you take that hunt home and you're in that same hunter's mode. You're in that survival mode. You're in that reaction mode. And what I've seen you do is soften, become more contemplative, become more conscious, which I know is a word you really use a lot and like a lot, and becoming more conscious or aware, that's response, right? And you can't, you can't have, it's one of these things in life that's binary. Either you're in reaction or you're in response. Either you're asleep or you're awake. Either you're in fear or you're in love, whatever you want to call it. And I've seen you make this journey, and it's not like it's a snap of a fingers. It's been a progression, right? From complete sleep to on your way to being complete awake. None of us are there. I don't think we get there in this lifetime, but we're like you said, we're expanding the space between that reaction and response. Yeah, I'm it, it, correct. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it's all, it really it is this journey that I'm on and it's not like this life shattering moment that I had that, Oh my God, this, I've completely become enlightened that that's not the case by any means. I think I've just started to incorporate in my life, how to be true to myself, true my my authentic self, the best version of myself in coming from a place of being able to respond versus react. And it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of consciousness. It takes a lot of awareness. It takes a lot of using your ears, right? And really listening and paying attention. Um, I, I think it's so such an important point to all the guys listening, especially. I don't trust um, epiphanies, right? Now, I'm not saying they don't happen. And I'm not saying they're not important, but they're not ultimately real if they're not sustained over time. I trust things in my life that are constant and progression, like anything in life, right? There's a healthy growth trajectory. And what I've seen, and it doesn't mean that there are defining moments. I think there are defining moments. I think we can go back and I want to take us back to one of your defining moments. But rarely are these defining moments an end unto themselves. They're an opening, which is what I've, I've seen you go through many of these openings on your journey. And, and so I'd like to take us back to at least as I've experienced it and I've incorporated into my book, one of your defining moments. All right. All right. I don't know where you're going with this, but okay, let's go. So, <laughs> when we started working together, I did what I often do. I, I rarely do this with women, by the way, um, because it's there are certain things that are much more male oriented or challenging. And here's one of them. And I, and I, I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why this might be, but men where I met you, first of all, I meet, I meet men in the afternoon of life. You know, Carl Jung's famous statement, there's morning and there's afternoon. There's actually evening, but 
somewhere around 40. It's not a hard and fast rule, he says, but 40-ish. And we have even this, like, and, you know, you go to your Hallmark store and you look at the cards. There's a 40-year-old almost section, right? Mm -hmm. we, we've, we've intuited this as a culture that something begins to shift where the rules, the game starts changing. Now, just because you're north of 40 doesn't mean you're actually in the afternoon. Sometimes we go kicking and screaming. Sometimes we go sleepwalking. Sometimes we die at 90, still in the morning of life. So it's a mindset. It's what you're describing as reaction response, morning and afternoon. Well, when I work with guys, invariably they're on the other side, at least physiologically, uh, biologically on 40. So they're in their 40s, which is when, you know, you were in there when we met um, to start our work together. And I always send a guy to the mirror to start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I want to always gauge where he's at in his life with what I call these mirror moments. I call it the guy in the glass. Do you recall that experience? Yeah, I remember you telling me about it and I I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I could look around my face and my body, but I had a hard time looking at my eyes, like really truly looking at myself. And so I sent you to the mirror as our starting point in some ways, because I, you know, like when your kids, your girls were younger, you know, maybe you were like me, you marked their height on the doorpost, or you've certainly seen it on TV or whatever. And why do we do that? Because we need a measuring stick. They think it's fun. And I think it's interesting because when you're so close to them, you just can't see the growth and you almost need that objective sort of measurement. And to me, that's what the mirror moment, the guy in the glass moment is, because what I've seen invariably, especially with the guys I'm working with, there's some piece of them that they can't fully look at their eyes in the mirror. And I don't just mean like, you know, fixing the hair that I used to have. I mean, like an uncomfortably long, lingering stare, staring into the depths of that man's eyes. That's the starting point. That that was hard from what I recall because I don't think I liked what I saw because I wasn't, there were too many stories. I feel like there were too many lies. I was hiding behind certain things and, and it just didn't feel right, didn't feel comfortable. And now I think during this journey, it's, it's allowed me to be able to learn to like and love myself um, because of being able to one accept who I am, and I think that was a big thing because I'm I'm a very sensitive person. I think for a long time of my life, I tried to um, I was shamed by that. I feel like, and I it may have been me doing it to myself, but I just felt like I couldn't show that mm -hmm. for some reason or another. Um, but I think I I've really just owned that and embraced it and. That's helped. Um, and then also just trying to be honest with myself um, and honest with my wife. I mean, because that's really where it starts. Um, and just trying to be create this clarity to where I am. And I have to, and initially during this journey, like I was really hard on myself because I didn't like seeing what I had seen in the past because I had had made so many mistakes and I did hide behind lies. And, um, and so just 
acknowledging that that was the past. That's not who I am today. Um, and really just embracing, embracing it. And so here's a random question. I already know the answer, but how many times have you been to a confessional? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Why is that, Schaffman? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm Jewish. <laughs> there you go. So, um, however, that's not true because the work that I we do, and I do this work on my own with my guy that I go to. And, I, and I, by the way, I also do this in our conversations. I'm not a traditional therapist and that I say, you know, lay on the couch and tell me about your mother and you don't know nothing of me by the end. Like I'm in it in the mess and the muck with you. And I think I'm pretty forthcoming in that it's confessional. That's what we do. That's all we do. When I meet guys mm. and they're still in the morning of life, even if they shouldn't be, they should be in the afternoon, but they're holding on to the morning. It starts with bullshit. Right. Mm -hmm. It starts with them bullshitting me from something as benign as, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Then why the hell are we on this call? Because <laughs> you don't need me. You're fine. But the truth is, is I know I know the truth. But if you say I'm fine for long enough and, you know, I know you're not shy about how you used to numb your I'm not fine, but I'm going to pretend I'm fine. Then you start believing your own bullshit. And to me. I don't think there's a, a hell where we go and there's a devil and the pitchfork and all that stuff. I think there is a hell though. It's here. And to me, hell is when a man believes his own bullshit. Mm. Lies. Cause I say to the guys all the time, and that's just a benign one. I'll get into these things where guys will tell me five, 10 months in, I never told you, but I'm cheating on my wife. Like, you're, you're withholding that truth, not from me. I, I don't care. I mean, it's not my journey. You're withholding it from yourself. You're, you're lying to yourself. And if you lie to yourself, there's no way out, right? Mm -hmm. Until you tell the truth. And so that's that mirror moment that almost every guy I know is withholding the truth of something to, to himself. And he mm -hmm. can't meet his eyes in the mirror. Not completely, not at first. Yeah. I mean, that's how I lived almost 50 years of my life, 48 years of my life. And um, it's, it's really about accepting yourself and who you are. And the fact that, again, you got to give yourself grace because you're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes. But here's the difference, okay? When you make a mistake, you own it. You own it. You get, you, and if you don't own it, then you're then you're in the morning of life, right? And then you're you're lying. You're trying to cover stuff up. You're defending yourself. Your ego's in the way. You know. You're reacting. All of that stuff. Where if you if you're truthful and honest with yourself, okay, I see what I did. I see what I did wrong, and I apologize. That's so important. That's a really great insight. That in some ways, the morning of life and the afternoon of life are not necessarily different in quantity. You might still be doing the same things. It's difference in quality that when you fuck up in the morning of life, your initial move is it's out there. And in the afternoon of life consciousness, it's I take responsibility. Right? Yeah, 100%. Because the and guys it's, you're, in the, uh, you're in the arena, right? 
you're in the arena. We're gonna you're in the arena. We're gonna we're gonna come back to that one in another time. But okay. you're in, you're in the mess. You're in the arena. Yeah. You're making mistakes. The difference being that when you go back to the mirror, right? If you can take responsibility for it, you're right. It's it's compassion. It's as I always say to guys. It's not to excuse the infidelity, the bad choice, whatever, you know, you fill in the blank for that particular guy in that particular situation. It's not to excuse it. It's to explain it. Right. Mm. And I'm if you can explain it, I can name it. If I can name it, I can, I can own it. I can take responsibility. But if I don't even name it or don't take responsibility, how am I supposed to move through this? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that, I mean, started. I think that's, that's the difference maker is owning it because if you don't own it and you try to deviate from the truth and maybe own some of the truth and not all of the truth there's a lie still there you know you're still trying to remember it's so hard to remember all your lies it's very easy to remember your truth and lying isn't always like well let me say lies of commission of saying things that aren't true it's lies of omission mm-hmm. of leaving things out mm-hmm right yeah. and so leaving out the whole story and not just to your spouse or to your friends or whatever to yourself and then mm-hmm. 50 years of leaving that out it's hard to meet hold your gaze right like you you raise kids you know when they're lying they don't look you in the eyes and you you know see in your soul and you see in theirs like mm-hmm. it's never once happened to me I can see it. There's a twitch. There's a looking away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to know a guy who would never look, you know, hold our my gaze. And I never fully trusted him because if you can't look at me in the eyes, there's mm-hmm. something being withheld. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that's, um, I think that's a very important trait to have, like be able to look somebody in the eyes and, and, to, and to be truthful. But it's, but it's a muscle. It's a quality that you it have. Is a, it's, it's a muscle. It is it takes practice. Yeah, right. Like I said, it's not like all of a sudden I had this like moment where it was just turn the light switch on and it was like all of a sudden I was, you know, you know, it is it is a journey and it is. And every morning, you know, I have to start my day a certain way in order to, you know, empty or empty my cup. So I am able to respond and not react. Like it's a it's a practice. It's a journey. It takes time. Um, takes I feel like it takes courage. It takes honesty, clarity, empathy, listening skills. There's there's a lot there. And, and today's sort of tool focus foundation for me is mirror moments, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not all or nothing. It's not, I can't hold my gaze or I can sit there and stare at myself, you know, for hours in the mirror, right? And it's, it's, it's checking in periodically when you go to the mirror, whether you're at a restaurant, just excusing yourself for a second, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, can, can you start to bring this ritual into your life of just checking in, just checking in? I, um, I know I've told you this, but at some point in time, I feel like if I, I don't know if I'm going to write a book or I'm going to do something, but I feel like if, if I did, the cover of the book would be me looking in the mirror and it shattered. 
the mirror was shattered because that's where it started. Like it was a shattered mirror and I couldn't see myself. I didn't want to see myself. I avoided that because I knew I wasn't being honest with myself in so many ways. So I'm going to borrow that for the cover of my book. So you will have your book and Fair enough. it'll be you. <laughs> but, but see, here's the morning of life difference is that the morning of life, we say the mirror is ruined. It's broken. It's less than. So buy a new fucking mirror. <laughs> right? Yes. But that doesn't work. Yeah. So it's so that you're going to end up shattering it if that's all you rely on is buying a new mirror. I don't trust the guy. I don't trust the guy without a shattered mirror. I don't. I don't. I don't work with guys without a shattered mirror. I don't trust them. It's 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 because there's no one. No one's out there. That's just. Making no mistakes and and owning. These these guys that are pretending and this look. Maybe in the morning of life, because you just haven't ventured long enough, far enough, you haven't lost, you haven't failed, you get to a certain point, and that's why that midlife transition is so important. There's no way out of it. If you if you aren't showing a shattered mirror at that point, you're just shopping at Walmart, replacing it with new mirrors on a mm-hmm. daily basis, right? And so the shattered mirror, and this is um, this is my last book. Um, spark seekers where it's built on the idea that there's nothing more whole than a broken heart, Mm. right? That your brokenness is what makes you so whole. If, if you can hold that and look in the mirror and go back to that shattered mirror and start to piece it back together again, Mm -hmm. I've seen you do that. Would you be willing to talk about, you know, some of the shattering in that? Yeah. I'll talk about whatever you want. So, so for it, I think this will resonate with a lot of guys listening, but you know, I know one of your shatterings of choice was, uh, was alcohol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's easy for me to talk about. I I think that um, for a lot of my life, I was numbing pain and it wasn't really necessarily pain. It was just numbing the, the feeling of not probably being comfortable with who I am. I think that's probably the root of where it came from is not knowing who I was and alcohol helped with being comfortable and so did gambling. And so I had those two vices for a long time. Um, And um, it just, I, I just woke up one day and it was after a really long night of drinking. And I realized like, this is not, this is not the journey I want to be on anymore. Um, and and I, I just, and I just, I ended up just quitting and it wasn't hard. So I don't feel like I necessarily had necessarily a drinking problem as much as I had a, a numbing problem. I had a, and, and I didn't want to deal. I didn't want to see myself in the mirror, I guess, is what it comes down to. I didn't like myself then. Yeah. And, you know, the numbing is the equivalent of swapping out mirrors. Every time you drink, it's like, I'm not going to look in that shattered mirror. I'm just going to get a new mirror. So it could be shopping. It could be 
gambling, it could be drinking, it could be sex, online porn, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, everybody, it's a vice. It's something that takes you away from reality. And, it, and that's, you said it, it's a numbing. So I don't feel the sting of going to the bathroom, looking in the mirror and not being able to meet my gaze mm-hmm. for a moment. For until look until the next day until the hangover until it wears off and then it then the mirror is even harder to look at. That's why mm-hmm. it's the pathway to hell because it's just this downward spiral where you're getting farther and farther from the eyes of the Scott Chaffman looking back at you in the mirror. Mm. So you stopped numbing, and it wasn't easy. It was it was essential, mm-hmm. right? So you could return back to that guy in the mirror. Yeah. And when you say return, I mean, it was probably, I think we are all born and we're all innocent and we all, you know, happy and until things start to change. And and I just, I just remember, you know, I changed. And I've talked to you about this image in my head and, of me being, I don't know, maybe I was three or four years old in, in my overalls and I was clean and I was cute and all my hair was all neat and everything. And that was me being that perfect child, right? And I think um, things start to change when, and especially today with this social media, and not that I really want to go down this path at all, but I I just think there's just so many different pieces of pressure that are on us that are pulling us away from fitting, from, um, from um, belonging. Okay. And belonging is being your true self in, in belonging somewhere where fitting in is actually not being your true self, being somebody like a, being more of a chameleon to fit in with a group. And I feel like for so long, I just tried to fit in. Well, it's, it's pronounced or more pronounced by social media, but this is the garden of Eden thousands of years ago where Adam and Eve stand naked and feel no shame. And then things start to come undone in the garden. This is just the mythical tale of what we're dealing with today and every generation. And what came in between the two of them? What came in between of Adam being able to look into his mirror of Eve and hold the gaze of their eyes and feel no shame? The snake. And the snake in Hebrew, nachash, means doubt. Right? Mm. The doubt starts creeping in the garden. And then the lies, and you know, we could do a whole study on this, but then the lies, you can just watch their communication break down and withholding the truth or embellishing the truth or half truths or lies start getting in the way and it just starts getting worse and worse and worse. And then they have shame, right? So this is an ancient problem, but it's a problem. we got to stand guard against that creeping of the, and this is a big word I know for you, shame. Talk to me about that word. It is a big word because I feel like I carried that burden for so long. I don't feel it anymore. I don't, I don't feel that, that shame anymore. But for so long, I had this shame because I, I was numbing myself, doing stuff to not really 
to see myself in the mirror and come back to this and, and really own who my true self is. But I didn't know who I was at that point in time either. So I wasn't aware. I wasn't conscious. I wasn't awakened. But I think, you know, it just took a moment in my life where I just had to, I snapped. I, I couldn't do it anymore. And, and that's, that happened four years ago. But I would argue you, you did know at the response at the conscious level and that's where that shame starts creeping in because mm. if you truly don't know because i knew you back in the day in our 20s that wasn't really shame it was we were playing out the morning of life the way kids are supposed to play out the morning of life mm -hmm. then you cross the threshold those 20s those 30s those 40s where it's like i can't play that game anymore and i know mm. some level he inside of me is calling me saying scott what are we doing? Mm -hmm. like, you're more than this. You mm -hmm. signed up for more than that's where that shame that that starts creeping in. Mm -hmm. And that's why you can't hold the gaze because there's something more. There's a there's a better man underneath the flesh suit than mm -hmm. showing up in his in Amy's life and the girl's life and his professional life and his whatever. And, I, and I've watched that progression for you. And and with that being said, now that I am uh, more aware of who I am and, and what I want in life, I, I now it's I desire, mm. I I crave connection, and I crave meaning, and I crave purpose, and almost to the point where I um, I struggle with having people around me that I feel um, I, I, I that's where my struggle is right now is finding my my tribe that that are in this space where they want they desire this meaning and this purpose and this and because once you are in that space you only want more yeah and it's not that everybody has to have perfect mirrors to be in that space it's that I need to be around and I do too. That's why we're having this conversation and we're starting a men's movement. I'll tell you about it. Um, I want to be around other guys who are doing their mirror work. Mm. I don't care what their broken mirror is. I just want to be around guys who are going to the mirror and saying, I'm having a hard time looking at the guy in the, in the, in the glass in the mirror, mm -hmm. but I'm working on it. It's right? raw. It's raw. vulnerability. And that's hard for men. It is. It is. It, it's It's so hard. It's also hard because we still have these morning of life rules where my mirror shouldn't be broken. I'm bad. <laughs> I'm No, your mirror is going to get broken. The question mm -hmm. is, do you continue to find yourself in it and work on it and own it? You said take responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. And when you do, you get to a different place. I want to share. Um, I've shared this with you many times, but this is part of my thesis my personal journey your journey the, the the men's journey which then we'll talk about in a second but i've shared with this with you many times maybe i'll just read it um the guy in the glass this was written in 1934 and this was my first mirror moment because my grandfather grandpa jack i don't know i was 18 19 i was you know pretty much a schmuck and um he must have seen that in me and he gave me this poem and this poem is just like gnawed at me for over 30 years now at this point. 
And um, it's by Dale Wimbrough. It was written in 1934. So the language is a little archaic, but so, so powerful. The guy in the glass. When you get what you want in your struggle for self and the world makes you king for a day, then go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that guy has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The fellow whose verdict counts most in your life is the guy staring back from the glass. He's the feller to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear up to the end. And you've passed your most dangerous, difficult test if the guy in the glass is your friend. You may be like Jack Horner and chisel a plum, I can come back to that, and think you're a wonderful guy. But the man in the glass says you're only a bum if you can't look him straight in the eye. You can fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the guy in the glass. What does that poem do for you, Scott? It's beautiful. It, it it's um it's so true. And you know, the ending is sad because those are the it's the people that never really um have been awakened and, and didn't live the afternoon of life and and didn't really um, own their truth and they've hid behind lies and they've admitted stuff throughout their life that that's that last sentence is gonna resonate for those people that have not been able to truly awaken and and that's I hope everybody can have a moment to where things shift for them without that moment being a cause of destruction in their lives. Because unfortunately, that's probably common um, for there to be a death, a divorce, something that has just shaken somebody to the core that has made them really question um what they should be doing <laughs> you know and really maybe try to start to shift because life is too short and you want to you know maybe want to to do more and make a difference and and be a better role model and be a better person to your friends and family and and obviously to yourself i i think that there's no way around it. I, I really don't work with men, as I mentioned before, who haven't had the shattering. In Hebrew, it's called mashber. Um, it means crisis, but it's actually the ancient word for birth stool. And crisis and birth, right, have a tremendous amount bound up. Like it's the most dangerous moment of a woman's life up to that point, giving birth. And so there's there's potential loss or death, but there's also potential for life and and I do think the men listening to this, right, every one of them has got a, a shattered mirror, whether or not they're ready to look into it, whether or not they can hold the gaze, whether or not they can admit it, that's up to them. But, you know, you're right. Your, your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the guy in the glass. That's that's tragic. Not the shattered mirror is not tragic. That's tragic. I think that's something that maybe I have feared for a lot of my life, but I never was able to put it in words like that. But I think that was a whisper, you know, it was a whisper for a lot of my life. And, and I knew I was capable of doing more. I knew I was capable of being 
the soft, sensitive person that I truly am, I just couldn't. I just had a, I couldn't do it for one reason or another. You know, I couldn't be all in, and and now I'm I'm all in. So so, so you know, we'll wrap up here in a second. But has it um, hurt your business by being vulnerable? I don't think so. Um, you know, and, and I, I feel as though if anything, it's I'm in this period of um, creating, and I've talked to you about this. I, I think I'm I'm at a place in my life and where I am in my career of just being open. And when I say that, I want to create abundance. And I want to be able to be in a place where I can impact other people in a way that is meaningful and purposeful for me. So during this journey, I've um, defined my true core values, which I have embraced in my business and in my personal life and try to you know, live by them on a daily business, a daily day, um, and commitment, gratitude, and integrity. Those are the three key ingredients to making me whole. And, and that's what I try to do on a daily basis, whether I'm at work, whether I'm with my family, friends, um, clients, I try to come from that place. So, I don't think it's it's I don't think it's hurt my business. I think over time it's only going to help. And that's, you know, I asked that for obvious reasons because a lot of the guys I talk to just they believe that this can become a distraction. They're diverting their energies away from, you know, the time when they're supposed to be building and thriving and all that or, you know, they can't do that. I'm a lawyer, I'm a banker, I'm whatever it is and they have this narrative, this story. And I refer them back to your previous podcasts with me on the open floor plan. Mm -hmm. Just like in the housing market now, you go into a house and the houses that really sell have an open floor plan, not a 1980s walled off floor plan. And, and that's our that's your you came up with that one. But that's our analogy for true success, that that man is a master in all his domains. Well, there's just one domain, which is mastering Scott, not work Scott and husband Scott and dad Scott and friend Scott and son Scott, mm -hmm. one Scott, right? Yeah. One Scott, holistic. It's, I think that's the, that the best place. That's the best way to live a life, you know, and that's is, is having an open floor plan and, and, and being true to yourself in re, doesn't matter what room you enter. And that's what allows you now to go to the mirror and like what that man has to say, right? Hold his gaze. And so any of the guys listening, uh, you're not alone if you go to the mirror and you can't hold the gaze. Um, there's only one way through it, and that's through it. That's to do the work. That's the mirror work that we're all here to do. And so that's what Scott and I do. Um, we're we're, we're going to be evolving this, expanding this. I'm running a group here, real-time physical presence in Denver, but I'm going to be starting a virtual group based on the mirror, based on Scott Schaffman's mirror moment and all of our mirror moments so that we can learn how to really go back to that mirror and like what that guy has to say. 
And the name of it, I've never dropped this publicly, but the name of it is Man Up Rising. Man Up Rising. It's not about manning up. It's about men rising up in the afternoon of life, right? And so mm -hmm. it's man uprising because it's an uprising. It needs to be an uprising, a rebellion of sorts against all the, the bullshit that we've been taught, that we're told, that the, our contemporaries are still doing, right? Morning of life rules and goals and not enough if you want to be a true man in the afternoon of life. And so we got to rise up and... That's the work that you've done. And I just want to thank you for being an example of what's possible to, to me and to all these other men listening. Wow. That, that's great. And obviously I want to thank you for, um, you know, just being there for me on my journey and, and really being that guiding light because I, I could not have done this work without you and your, your words of wisdom and guidance and inspiration um, and, and always challenging me has um, helped me get to the place where I am today. So thank you. Well, you will be our first official um, men's mentor in this group. Um, we're going to have a mentor, you know, and somebody who's been around the block with me, with these ideas, whatever. And we're going to be forming this group where we're going to be inviting other men into it virtually wherever you are. You can participate. Um, so stay tuned. That'll be in hopefully 2024 earlier rather than later. So stay tuned. We are going to take your example, scale it to the world. And God willing, you'll have your own book cover here pretty soon. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right. It was great. Uh, and right, thank you for listening, everybody. Jump over to defiantspirit.org where you can learn more. Until then, defy your number and live your spirit. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review and share this podcast with others. To learn more about the Defiant Spirit, get more inspirational content, or see how we might work together to live your Defiant Spirit, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, take back your power and live your Defiant Spirit.